All right, it is time for everybody's favorite game, Guess Who. Has anybody ever played the game Guess Who before? All right, it's a good game. I remember when we were, we were kids, Melissa and I, I think it was my grandma Irene that bought us this Guess Who game. And if you've ever played Guess Who, you'll, you'll know how it works. But if you haven't, I'll kind of tell you what happens. You get a whole board full of different faces, and, and one person gets to ask the other person questions. Does your guys have glasses, or is your person a man or a woman, or does your person have red hair or green hair or blue hair or whatever color? And pretty soon, you're able to kind of figure out through a few clues who the person is. Well, we don't have any boards, and we're not going to... Uh, go through all the hassle of making a board, but uh, for the next week or two, or maybe a few weeks, as long as the Lord wills, we're going to just look at some different people uh, throughout Scripture. There are lots of people that played big roles throughout God's Word, some of which we're very familiar with, some of which we're not as familiar with. Some people in God's Word, uh, it, it gives us a lot of detail about who they are and where they were from and what they did, and other names are only mentioned once or twice. Some of the people in God's Word, we, we probably will never know what you know everything about them that there is to know until we get to heaven, and then we won't care. But, but God gives us a lot of important figures, a lot of important men and women that he used throughout the Bible to accomplish his will. And so uh, we're going to look at, at least for, for a week or two probably, uh, some of those key people that, that, we've, that we see in God's Word. And, and what maybe we could learn from them. If we could just sum up a thing or two that we could learn from, from these people and their experiences to see what we can get from, from their life and their choices and how God used them. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys the task of, of trying to figure out who the person is. Now, I'll give you a few clues. And some of you may get it pretty early on. If you get it on like the first one, we'll just hold your answer till we get a few clues out there to kind of figure out who it is. And then I'll ask you guys out there, I'll give you the clues if you start to, to, to figure it out. And then we'll talk about this person. So let's pray and then we will jump in. <sighs> Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the people that you give us in your word, both the ones who have been obedient to you and the ones who have not been obedient to you. Dear Lord, we need to learn from both. We need to learn uh, to do right and we need to learn from when we do wrong, God. And so I pray that you help us to look at this example we see in your word tonight. And I pray that you would just speak to, to us and through us through your word. And I pray that you'd be glorified in this place. Hide me behind the cross, dear Lord, and, and, and just do a mighty work among us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, I'll give you guys a few hints and we'll see if you guys can figure out who our person tonight is going to be. All right. My first wife was named Michael. I conquered the fortress of Zion, and the city there was named after me. I had seven older brothers. Anybody kind of starting to get an idea? I was a shepherd. The king who ruled Israel before me hated me. My son built the first temple for the Lord. I killed Goliath. Anybody want to take a guess? David. All right. All right. See, it was kind of tough there at first because I didn't know David's first wife's name was Michael. So it, it, I, I kind of made it tough for you guys. But it's David. Most of you figured out by the time 
We got to the, and he was a shepherd, that he had maybe seven older brothers, that he, he conquered Zion, and the city was named after him, the city of David. Uh, these are all things that were true about David from the Bible. We see all those things. You can look them up and read about the life of David. You can read First and Second Samuel and really see those stories, and I would encourage you to do so because reading through uh, about the life of David is some excellent reading. There, it's, it's, it's one of those sections of Scripture where it's pretty easy to understand. It's not one that's filled with a lot of difficult stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty easy for us to understand when we read about David. Now, there's a phrase that I've heard my whole life, and, and most of you have probably heard it, and, and it is this, and that is, is that David is a man after God's own heart. Now, I don't know that the Bible ever says that anywhere. If it does, you guys can point it out to me. I wasn't able to find a verse that said the words, David was a man after God's own heart. But the closest that we get to that in God's Word, I believe, is in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. <clears throat> now these verses are talking about, this particular verse is it's kind of talking about the early kingship of the nation of Israel. It's, it's talking about how Israel had to demand for a king. We see that in the verse before this. Israel demanded a king because they wanted to be like other nations, which was a bad deal because they were a nation... They were the children of God. They were set apart, but they wanted to be like other nations. God appointed Saul to be their king, and Saul did not do what was right in the Lord's eyes. But, but God brought another up. He brought another up who would be his, and who, through him, he would establish his kingdom forever. We see that David is that one that God uh, did this to, that David was the one that God said, Look, I'm going to establish you forever. And so we see references to David throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it says, After removing him, now that's talking about Saul, after Saul was removed from being king, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man loyal to me who will carry out all my will. And we have a, a contrast between the first king of Israel, uh, Saul, and, and David. As to where Saul failed to carry out what God's will was, what we do see with David, even if the exact words are not used, is that David was a man after God's own heart. That is, that David desired to do God's will. But what we see when we look at the life of David is far from a perfect man. We, we see David's journey in the text from the time that he was a pretty young guy. Now, I don't know how old David was when he encountered Goliath, but he probably was a, was a teenager. That's just a guess. Some would say he was much older. Some would say he was younger. But, but I believe that David was probably around a teenager at the time that he encountered Goliath. And we see early on in David's life his, his, his deep desire to stand up for the Lord. Because as Goliath would come out every morning and he would mock God, as Saul was king and all the other Israelites was there, I'm paraphrasing here, they didn't really stand up. They didn't really make a stand for the Lord. And when David came to bring his, his brother some lunch, he saw what Goliath was doing and he said, hold up, what is going on here? This man, this Philistine guy, is, is going to, to talk about my God in that way? Why, why is nobody doing anything? Why are you letting him mock the Lord? And little David, of all the people in Israel, decided he was going to stand up for his Lord. 
And Saul and the rest of the people, they tried to put all this, this big armor on him, and he said, I don't need all that because David was someone who trusted in the Lord. And you, you, and you know what? If you hadn't read the story, David beats the giant. David, who was probably a normal-sized teenage boy, beats Goliath, who was probably 9 or 10 foot tall. Uh, he was a big old tall guy, had big old armor and all this stuff. And David took his sling and he slung a rock and hit him right in the head and killed him because David trusted in the Lord. And we see David's trust in the Lord from a very young age. And we see that, that, that God eventually calls David to be king, but David doesn't initially just jump right into the kingship. There was a long period of waiting between the time that David was called to be king and when he actually began to rule as king of Israel. In the meantime, God had, had appointed Saul as king, and Saul could have ruled as king if he would have been obedient to the Lord, but he did not do what the Lord said. They were to go in and they were to destroy these Amalekites, and they were to destroy everything that there was to destroy. But guess what? Saul didn't do that. Saul didn't go in and destroy everything that there was to destroy. And because of his disobedience to the Lord, God at that point said, you're no longer going to be king of Israel. I have got one who is going to come and to replace you. Well, eventually Saul realized that that one who was going to replace him was going to be David. And Saul became very angry and very hateful toward David and on several occasions tried to take David's life. It was, it, was a, it, it, it was a cycle that kept going. There would be an opportunity that, that Saul would try to take David's life and David would have mercy on him. And we see this happen a couple of times in the scripture. And each time that, that David would confront Saul and say, why are you doing this to me? I'm not going to fight back against you. God has chosen you and I'm not going to do anything that's going to, to take your life. Even though David had opportunity to take Saul's life, he chose to have mercy on him. And we see that heart of God in David. All throughout everything David did from the time he was a young man all until the time he came to become king of Israel. And now eventually uh, Saul, even though he would say the words and say he was apologetic and that he, he didn't want to harm David, everything was okay, we see that Saul's heart's not changed. Saul's attitude was still bitter and, and, and anger toward David. And eventually Saul takes his own life. And David finally begins to rule as the king of Israel. And up until that point, David had been a pretty stand-up guy. We had really seen David's character shine. But it was when David became king of Israel that we see David falter. That we see a more human side of David. That we see the man who, who had a heart after God, who desired to do God's will and desired to show mercy and do what was right. We see that he gives in to the temptation of another woman. We see that David sees a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing on the roof, and he decides he wants her for himself. To make a long story short, he, he, he gets with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. Her husband has gone away fighting at war, and David realizes that he must do something to take care of the situation. He tries his best to trick her husband to come home, to be with his wife, so that he can cover up his sinfulness. And everything he does backfired because guess what? Bathsheba's husband Uriah is an upright man and he will not go home with his wife while his, while his friends are on the battlefield. And so David has a big problem. And we see in David's life what sin will do. David's life will lead from one sin to another sin. 
And that sin of adultery led to sin of murder. And David had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed. David said, I want you to put him on the front line so he's in the most fierce things. And when all the enemy soldiers come, I want you to leave him there. And guess what happened? Uriah died. And guess whose blood Uriah's, or guess whose hands Uriah's bloods were on? They were on the hands of David. The Lord, the Lord says that it's David who is guilty of the death of Uriah. Even though he might not have used the sword that slayed him, it was David who was guilty. And David is a man who is a man after God's own heart. He desired to do God's will. But even after all this, you know, God restored David and God continued to use David. And God had made the promise that it was through David that every that, that through David the, the Messiah would rule forever, that his kingdom would rule forever. And God kept that promise. And we see that all the way from the time of David all the way through the New Testament. So what was different about David and about Saul? What was different about them? They, they, they both, it would appear, kind of started on the right track. They both sinned against the Lord. After all, David committed adultery and had a man murdered. All Saul did was he let a few people live that, 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 that God told him to kill. And so what's the difference between David and Saul? Why didn't God continue to use Saul as king? Why didn't God establish the promise through Saul? Why did God have forgiveness toward David? And I think we see the answer to that. And I think it's important for us to understand the answer to that. Let's look in the scripture and see what the text says. If you want to turn to 2 Samuel. No, excuse me, 1 Samuel. First Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now you can go back and read through this. I encourage you to do so. Uh, you can read all of 1 and 2 Samuel if you get a chance. And it'll tell you all these things I just told you. Don't take my word for it. Go back and read these things. I know we've covered a lot of ground uh, tonight. But go back and you can read about Saul and you can read about David in 1 and 2 Samuel. But Saul was commanded to strike down all the Amalekites and everything that they had. 1 Samuel 15 verse 7. Then Saul struck down the Amalekites from Haviah all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. He captured Agag, king of Amalek, alive, but he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, cattle, and choice animals, as well as the young rams and the best of everything else. Now that's not what Saul was commanded to do. He was commanded to destroy everything, but instead he spared the king and he spared some of this livestock. Now, let's, let's read a little further down in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, for he turned away from following me and has not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to confront Saul, but it was reported to Samuel, Saul went to Carmel, where he set up a monument for himself. 
Then he turned around and went down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Clearly, Saul had not carried out the Lord's instructions, even though he had, he had said yeah, he did. Samuel replied, Then what is this sound of sheep and cattle I hear? Saul answered, The troops brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best sheep and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we destroyed. Now here we see Saul trying to make up for what he was for his sinfulness, for his disobedience. He was commanded to destroy everything, and he said, "Look, I did just as God commanded." And Samuel said, "Oh, really? You were supposed to command everything, and I hear sheep." And what did Saul say? It was the soldiers who brought him back. Uh oh, he's starting to play the blame game. We see that all the way from Adam and Eve. When, Eve's, when, it, when Adam's confronted, Adam says, But God, it was the woman you gave me. She made me do it. And she said, But God is a serpent that you put in the garden. He made me do it. And so this idea of passing blame is not new for, for uh, when we are reading God's word. And we see this blame begin to start here. When Saul is confronted for his sinfulness, his disobedience, he says, Oh, no, we, we, look, we brought these things back, burnt offerings. We did all this for the Lord. And besides, it was the soldiers that brought all of these things back. And Samuel said in verse 14, or excuse me, 16, I cannot see. Stop, exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, have you not become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you have annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, he, Samuel called him out on it. Saul said, hold up, we've we got all this stuff for good, burnt offering for the Lord. It was the other guys that did it. And, and Samuel repeats what the command was. He said, you were supposed to completely to annihilate, completely destroy all that the Malachites were and all that they had, and yet you didn't do that. Why didn't you do what God commanded you to do? Here we go. We got excuses coming again in verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back Agai, king of Amalek, and completely destroyed the Amalekites. Now, was that what the command was? Go and capture the king and bring him back and destroy everybody else? Nope. But Saul, he's trying to, he's trying to spin those words. He's trying to justify his actions. The troops took sheep and cattle, again, he's putting the blame on the troops, from the plunder. The best of what was set apart for destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now he's making it sound good. The reason why we disobeyed was for the Lord. We were taking the best of the best to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a sacrifice to the Lord. That was part of what God's people, uh, God commanded his people to do. But in this instance, that's not what God commanded his people to do. So Saul is really trying hard to spin this. We were doing this for God. Besides, it was the troops who did this. And he's not acknowledging his disobedience and sinfulness. He's continuing to make excuses. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Boy, that's good stuff right there. 
That's something that we need to listen to. Now, look, we're not in the business of, of bringing sacrifices to church. We're not in the businesses of when we come to church of bringing and making a sacrifice to cover our sins. We know that Jesus has already done that. But are there ever things in our life that we do that we shouldn't do, that we think are going to gain us favor with the Lord? We need to examine our life and say, hey, is there something that we're trying to do to earn God's favor? Because that's not what God desires. It's not the sacrifices that God desires so much as he desires us to have a willing heart to be obedient to what he calls us to do. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. Listen at that. To obey is better than to sacrifice. He's saying God would rather us do what he calls us to do than to jump through a bunch of hoops. God would rather us uh, genuinely love and care for people and come to church uh, dressed like hobos than to come to church dressed to the T and not love and care for anybody. God would, would rather us do what he wills for us to do, what his desire is for us, than just to go through a bunch of motions. And that's what he's trying to get the point across to Saul here. And it's, it's not about your actions that you do, it's about where your heart is at. And Samuel was saying, your heart, when you did this action, was not where it should have been. You're saying that you did these actions for the right thing, but these were not from your heart the way that they should have been from your heart. Look, to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord... He has rejected you as king. Now, that's pretty strong stuff right there. That was it. Bam. God had just rejected Saul as king because of his disobedience. Now, flip over with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. <clears throat> Here we're going to see the difference between Saul and the difference between David. When Saul was disobedient to the Lord and he was called out because of his sinfulness, he made all these excuses. He tried to justify. He tried to, to make all these reasons why he was not in the wrong. And we talked about David's sinfulness. We talked about his uh, committing adultery. We talked about the son he had with Bath or she was impregnated with Bathsheba. We talked about that David had Uriah killed. David was just as guilty as being sinful before the Lord. And David also, or God also sent someone to David to call him out on his sin. God sent the prophet uh, Nathan to David to call him out for his sinfulness. Let's start in chapter 12, verse 1. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The man who had a large number of sheep, excuse me, the rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up, living with him and his children. It shared his, his meager food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. 
David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. So Nathan's giving this illustration. He's using, uh, like Jesus would use a parable, his story to make a, to make a point. Nathan is making this point to say, look, David, you are the rich man. You've had everything that you could have ever wanted. And Uriah, this poor guy, he had a wife that he loved and cherished dearly. And you couldn't be happy with what you had when you had everything. You had to go take this other poor guy's one thing that he had. And when David heard this illustration about the, about the lamb, he said, this guy, he needs to be punished for what he's done. Then Nathan replied in verse 7, Nathan replied to David, you are the man. This is what the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing what I considered evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him and the, with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be, excuse me, to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them publicly. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel in broad daylight. Now this is what's important. David has been called out for his sin here. Nathan has called David out. Uh, the Lord has spoke through Nathan and told David what was what. He said, look, you have been disobedient. You have not followed my commands. And when David is confronted with his sinfulness and his disobedience, the response of David is found in verse 13. David responds to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And I believe that that is the difference between Saul and David. And that is the difference between you and I. Either we acknowledge our sinfulness before the Lord, or we try to make excuses before the Lord. And we see two examples that we just looked at tonight of how those, how those choices work themselves out. You see, even though both men were disobedient to the Lord and sinned against the Lord, we saw that Saul was rejected because he made excuses. He had an opportunity to say, look, I sinned against you, Lord. He had an opportunity for his heart to be changed, but he didn't. He made all these excuses. But David, when he was confronted with his sinfulness, he simply said, I have sinned. And the same is true for us. We have to, a choice to either acknowledge our sinfulness and acknowledge how wretched we are, and there's nothing we can do or say that's going to change that other than, Father, forgive me. Or we can try to make excuses. Now, if you go back and you read about Saul after the verses that we left, guess what Saul said in the next verse after he, after he uh, went through all these excuses and, and Samuel told him you're rejected as king. You know what Saul said? He said the same words, I have sinned against the Lord. But there's a difference between Saul and David. They both uttered the same words, but only one of them had a change of heart. And you say, how do I know that? Because I read God's word. 
And I know that because after Saul said, I have sinned against the Lord, Saul's attitude and heart did not change. Saul's anger and bitterness continued to grow. He continued to want to kill David. There was no change in David's life. Even though he had uttered the same words that David had uttered, we see clearly that Saul's heart was not on the Lord and doing the Lord's will. We see clearly that Saul's heart had not changed. Even though he said he acknowledged his sinfulness, there was no repentance there. But with David, we see just the opposite. David had sinned in just as a mighty as in as bad a way as Saul did. But guess what? David said, I have sinned, and he repented of his sins. And you know how we know that? Because we see David's life afterwards. We see that David was obedient to the Lord. Not that David was perfect, but we don't see David continuing to live in this, this same pattern of sinfulness. And that's the difference between David and Saul. That's why David is a man after God's own heart, because David's heart was in the right place. Even though he did sin, there was forgiveness there because he repented. And we have to choose today, are we going to be like Saul or are we going to be like David? Are we, when we say, Father, forgive me, are we really repenting of our sins or are we just like Saul and going through the motions? Is there really a change in our life after we've sinned and supposedly repented of the Lord, or are we still living the same? Because if we say we repented and we're still living like Saul, then guess what? There hadn't been a change. But see, we don't want to be like Saul. God desires for better for us. God desires for us to be men and women after his own heart. God desires for us to be like David. It's not that God expects perfection from us. He knows better. But God expects that when we read his word and when we see him, when he speaks to us, that we respond to that and we acknowledge that and say, Father God, I have sinned against you. And that we follow the example that David has set for us. David had to pay some consequences. The son that he and Bathsheba had, guess what? He died. There were some consequences for that. David had to live with that. That was a struggle for him. It's not that... When we ask God for forgiveness or we repent that God makes all things better and he, he, he just makes every situation where it lines up, maybe sometimes he does. But for many of us on many occasions, we still have to live with the consequences of, of our sinfulness. Not for all eternity. We are ultimately forgiven for what, by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But in David's life, there was a season where he had to, he had to live with that. But he found ultimate restoration and joy from the Lord. We see this talked about in the Psalms. When we read the Psalms, we see the struggles that David had, both early in his life and late in his life. But we see that all throughout everything, David remained faithful to the Lord. David's heart was in the right place. And we need to take a few minutes tonight to look at our hearts to see if they're in the right place. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these two examples. I know we covered a lot of ground and talked about a lot of stuff, dear Lord, but we see firsthand. We see the way you want us to be, God, clearly through the text. But God, help us to, if we're like Saul and we're just kind of making excuses for our sinfulness, God, that we would see that and that we would not, not fall into that trap, dear Lord. God, maybe we're like David and we've, we've sinned and we... We just need to acknowledge that and we need to repent of that, God, and help us to know that it may not make our whole situation immediately better, God. There may still be some consequences for our choices, what we've said and what we've done. But God, help us not to forget that you still offer forgiveness. 
that you desire to take care of us and to bless us, God, that you desire to be there for us when we sin. Help us not to, not to waller in our sin or feel helpless. God, you give us help. You give us hope, and we thank you for that. So help us to learn from David. Help us to have a heart that's focused on you. Help us not to, to give in to just going through motions or, or, or these sacrifices, as we call them, dear Lord. You desire so much more than for us to go through these motions. You desire for us to have a heart that's going to focus on and serve you. So help us to do just that, God. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen.